But to answer your question, um, I typically write a lot of the stuff that gets me angry, so to speak, or, 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 or you know, kind of this stuff like, how are we here? I also like try, I'm just going to say, just like the P4, P4B. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Anger is, is our fuel. <laughs> this is the Jordan Corey Show on the P4B. And if you thought all we did was sit around thinking of ways to poop on empty suit politicians, well, you'd be half right. Okay, this is indeed the P4B. It's the Jordan Corey Show. Uh, joining us tonight, along with our brilliant co-host, Ron. Say hello, Ron. Hello. <laughs> is Chris Tremogli. This is a huge get for the P4B. Um, this is one of those indicators that we're slowly working our way up into the big leagues. Uh, Chris is a writer for the Washington Examiner, uh, a rather prolific writer for the Washington Examiner. Um, and before we get into the, the nitty gritty, the stuff that we all like to talk about, Chris, I'd like to know a couple things. First, how did you get started in writing? Who? how much time do you have? Okay, so I... Oh, I was planning on going seven and a half hours tonight. Can we do that? There, it, might, it might take me that long to cover that. Uh, <laughs> so I started writing technically, I want to say, for publications. I guess initially probably started when I had was doing my community college newspaper. Um, I went to return to school in my 30s late, much later after you normally graduate, I had a sales career. And then around, I want to say 2014, I just wanted something different. And I just talked to people and they said, well, just start going back to school, take courses. So started taking online courses. Um, and then I was recruited by the University of Pennsylvania before it had its horrible reputation as now. Um, and I initially w was interested in it, but I was like, there's no way you can go from a community college to an Ivy League school. I just, you know, it's, that's like a Disney movie. There's no way that's going to really happen. So they, but they kept on recruiting me and I kind of like, they dangled the carrot in front of me and I said, okay, why not? So I applied and got rejected and I uh, was kind of, <laughs> kind of upset about that. Cause I was like, I felt like I was a sucker and I was really angry for a couple of weeks, but then I settled down. I was like, you know what, if, if I'm going to try to go talk to them and, and see if I could actually do this. So I went to, I literally like showed up to this like advisor center at Penn probably like every week for like five weeks or something to that effect. And I asked myself, what can I do? Is this one, is this realistic or are you just trying to collect application fees? And then if it is, tell me exactly what I need to do and I'll do it. So they literally told me what I needed to do. And one of the things they said was try to find extracurricular activities. I thought that was a little weird because I was an adult, not like a regular you know, kid coming out of high school. Right. But I was like, okay, if it needs to be done, show be it. And then one day I was walking around my uh, community college at Philadelphia campus and came across a student newspaper. And there wasn't many people going up to the, uh, it was like a, just a, this fair that they had of club fairs at the school. And there weren't many people going up there. And I had always had an interest in writing, but never had like any, I guess, path to doing so. And um, I just talked to them and, and it kind of just went from there 
to I started wrote one article, then I became a web editor. Then the next semester, the next year, I forget, I became editor in chief. And then from there, I eventually wound up getting into Penn, and I found the the conservative newspaper on that campus, and I started writing for them. And then when I was doing that, these uh, this group called the Intercollegiate Studies Institute was the organization funding the Penn newspaper, and they offered a fellowship. I'm sorry, an internship at the time. And then I applied for it, and I got the internship to National Review. So then I wrote for them for a few months in the summer of 2019, I think. And mm -hmm. then after that, I maintained uh, a relationship with the Intercollegiate Studies Institute. I was supposed to get another internship with the Philadelphia Inquirer, but that was wiped out by the pandemic. And then I wound up graduating, and then uh, they offered me a fellowship with the Washington Examiner. So I took that, and then I went from a fellowship to an official commentary writer, and here we are. And I'm now on your, your show. So that's that's literally the long-winded version. Yeah, yeah. I was. We were. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Ron. You were going to say. I was just going to say I, I peruse the Examiner almost daily just to see the headlines, Chris. What is your What's your area at the at the Examiner? You have a specific area, or? So I'm a commentary writer. So I can basically write about anything that requires commentary, which I know sounds a little redundant. Um, the main thing that I kind of, I guess you could say the thing that I, I, I'm known for, or my big main story, the big break, I guess you say, was the Leah Thomas transgender slimmer. Um, I broke that story December 2021, 22, wow. I forget when it was. Um, but incidentally enough, I was actually in class with Leah Thomas who was then William Thomas and sat right next to me about a two years before all this, maybe three years before all this started happening. Um, no, had no suspicions of any of this. He was in like a, uh, a college male, sat next to me, real nice, intelligent kid, you know, and nothing, no, no idea that this was on the horizon. And then um, I was friends with one of the, the, I'm not friends, but I was in a classmates with one of the swimmers, a couple of swimmers that were my class. And then I started hearing about how there was like this transgender swimmer going at, at Penn. And then sure enough, I just kind of like, you know, went upon it and, and saw it. And I was like, wow, I was like literally sitting next to William when this happened. So, but to answer your question, um, I typically write a lot of the stuff that gets me angry, so to speak, or, 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 or you know, kind of this stuff like, how are we here? I also like try I'm just going to say, just like the P4, P4B. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Anger is our fuel. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, so that, and I also try to write some foreign policy stuff, but I really haven't done that as much as I a should have and b want to. Um, uh, so yes, but mostly it's just because there's so many things that come out. Like I'll like, oh, I want to write a sophisticated, you know, piece today about foreign policy, and then you know, there's this thing about you know, um, Leah Thomas, or there's a thing about these, these, these like schools that are having these clubs that are like, or these, there's these stories about uh, teachers secretly transitioning students, or there's like, you know, this school that's saying like all white people are racist, or, you know, so different things of that kind of just, I'll read about it, and I'll be like, get angry, and I'm like, oh, I'll write it, and it just kind of comes out into, I turn it into an article. Uh, so yeah, so I said, I guess that's the benefit of being a commentary writer and not a reporter. I could cover current events and also inject my opinion. So I, I get what you're saying. And I 
think what you're saying was reflected in your datelines recently. <laughs> this has been, Ron and I talked about it in both the last two shows, a lunatic couple of weeks. The news, normally you get a really Repeat. ridiculous story every week, maybe week and a half. We've been banging away two and three stupid stories a day. Yeah. Quite the news yeah. Pardon me? It's been quite the news cycle for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I looked at your datelines just for some discussion ideas, and you were banging out commentary articles almost every day. You know, yes, um, I do. First. Yeah, I ahead. do about two to three a day, I think, something like that. Um, and six days a week usually. So, so you, you try to you try to submit every day. Correct. Yes. How many how many words do they look for, give or take? Uh, oh God! Typically, like I think it's like around five six hundred. Usually, is what I hit. Um, sometimes I go over. Sometimes I get really long winded and go really over. Uh, but typically, on average, I would say about six hundred, five six hundred. If you go way over, will they reject it or run with it? Um, depending on the piece and depending the point I make by going over. Um. So if it's something where I just like ramble on and then go like don't make much sense, they'll kind of edit it and send yeah. it back to me. But by and large, I kind of uh, they they work with me on the the workout and everything. So I have great editors and they help me out and you know coach me and guide me to um, when I'm running. So it all kind of works out in the end. A few years ago, Chris, I used to get the uh, you know the paper examiner. Now, of course, obviously it's all online. Where could we find you normally if I just popped you know popped into the examiner and Okay, so there is actually still a paper version of the examiner. It's just a weekly magazine now. Okay. Um, so that comes out. But typically, if you go to WashingtonExaminer.com, there is, if you click on opinion, um, then I, I'm in like one of the breakdowns all on the opinion. You'll see my article posted there. So, or if you just search my name, I have one of those long Italian, distinguished Italian last names everyone messes up. And it's kind of alone. So if you just Google my last name or my name, you'll see me in the article that wrote it up. I have a short, distinguished Italian name. So I see where you're Okay. All right. So you can relate. So. <laughs> yeah. And then on, on Twitter, um, I post pretty much everything I typically write on, on my Twitter, uh, which is at Chris W. Tremo. So. Yeah. You can, you can, I just uh, Google Chris Tamagli, Washington Examiner, and it pops yeah. right to his, his full catalog of articles mm -hmm. um but it's funny you talk about messing up the name uh, people don't know this i am actually and we didn't know it at first related to chris through cousins and a marriage <laughs> and i could not remember for years the name tramogli to save my life my aunt married bob tramogli i i imagine that's like your second cousin chris so the Bob Tremagli we were talking about before, I think he had, I know, I, I think it's his son. I never met the Bob that we talked about. I only met um, yeah, these are These are cousins from like a grandparent over. Yeah, I, I know at one point I knew the lineage. I think it's like the cousin of my grandfather or something. I have to double check on that, but I, I haven't really, I always said at one point when I, I actually wound up meeting Bob and his daughters through, I think it was MySpace at the time. Um, we kind of like connected over there or some social media, and this is how far back it 
when we didn't know each other growing up at all. <laughs> just, we just dated ourselves. So we even know. Yeah, it. right. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. There. And, uh, and then and that's how we kind of connected in, you know, I didn't know anyone that they existed until then. So there is, uh, but I mean, I, I said at one point I, I knew the, the direct breakdown of my names and I don't remember at this point. Yeah. So. I was banging away on Chris on Twitter for, I don't know, a couple months, you know, cause yeah. he had a lot of good posts. He and I kind of think alike on, on the social media and the whole time I'm thinking, damn, that name's familiar. What, where do I know that name from? My aunt was married to the guy for like 25 years. We were talking about transgenders a little bit earlier uh, in our conversation. I guess you saw the uh, some of the fireworks at the Virginia State Senate today. Winston, yeah, she, uh, not. Oh, Winston Sears on her roll. Winston Sears, uh, there's a state senator in, in Virginia that is transgender, and they were going back and forth, uh, you know, discussing something I can't recall. And Winston Sears said, yes, sir, to her. <laughs> to her, I guess I'll say her. And she stormed out of the state Senate. So there were, there were fireworks at the state Senate regarding that today. Yeah, those guys are just so emotional. You know what I mean? <laughs> did, did anybody tell them to calm down? That was, that's always a good idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Winsome came back and I guess gave a half apology. So I guess it's, you know. God. Yeah. Man, it, dead naming and wrong gender, whatever pronouns. Good God. So I thought that was, to? We, we said something happens every day, and that was just a little local yeah. pretty big and, and, and we're we're being trained to be this ridiculously sensitive. Mary Poppins is now PG. I saw that. Yeah. Oh. We're we're supposed to worry about an outdated term. Um it was a slang. It wasn't, it wasn't. Well, I didn't hear this. I was wondering what, what, what was the term? I, don't, I didn't catch that. Um, there, there was a word in two scenes. One, one's the kids use it. And then another one, um, uh, one of the adult characters uses it, referring to a South African tribe. Okay. It Ooh. wasn't, it's not the equivalent of N-word or uh, pecky or anything like that. It's, it was a slang term. Um, but since evidently somebody went through that movie with a fine-tooth comb and said, there are seven people on this planet who will be offended by that word, we are now told that you have to watch Mary Poppins advisedly. God. Disney actually does that with all of their old movies. If you go into the streaming site, and I only know this because... In October, November, December, maybe around Christmas time, I went to uh, watch Fantasia. I was just bored one night, and my dad, I remember taking me when I was a kid, because um, it was like re-released in the 90s or something like that. So I was like, oh, you know, I was kind of in, in the holiday spirit and, and wanted to kind of watch it. And there was this disclaimer that came on for Fantasia, which is essentially all music and animation. There's not even words to... Um, really be offended. So, and I, I started going back into like their the Disney Vault as they have it on there. I think it was called that. And um, every like old movie had like this warning that's saying, "Oh, this is you know something to the effect of like these are." I'm paraphrasing. Is these are older movies, and 
the terminology they used back then may not be suitable now. And I was just kind of shocked that that you know, they don't they don't show I forget the name of the movie, uh Zippity Doodah. No, uh, no, the Song of the South, I think it is. Song of the South. Yeah. yeah. Or no, That's hold on. The song is Zippity Doodah, but I think the movie was called Song of the South or something I, like that. I think it was Song of the South. Yeah. Okay. The, the only disclaimer on Fantasia is that you shouldn't smoke too much while you're watching it. That also tie into the news stories regarding uh, psychedelics recently. So. <laughs> so, so don't drop acid and watch a Disney cartoon. Okay. <laughs> Safety note. By the way, that uh, that Mary Poppins includes two uses of the discriminatory term hot and trap. Hot and hot and tops. Yeah, hot and tops. Yeah. Whatever that is. I've never even heard of that word, so mm -hmm. I wouldn't know even to be offended. I don't. Mm -hmm. Pretty yeah. sure, like the 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 main word people get for when they watch Mary Poppins is probably super Right. Not this one. So, seems a little <laughs> which was ridiculous. was one of the longest uh, words of all time, but that's uh, that's been now be, been debunked by uh, quite a few yeah. others. Actually, that, I think the longest think... word of all time is a Welsh train stop. Wasn't it anti-disestablishmentarianism? That's <laughs> no, longer than that. Longer than that? Okay. And 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 if you read it because of the uh, Welsh dialect, you wouldn't be able to be able to pronounce it. Right. It has like four double L's in it, which <laughs> is pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Back to serious things, Ron. You had a uh, you had a uh, outstanding alibi last show. Something about sanctions, Russian sanctions. Yeah, well, there, there again, uh, Biden is uh, beginning to to do another round, I'll say, of Russian sanctions, which are to me relatively meaningless. Pretty much what it comes down to. Until we, uh, they keep they keep selling their gas. I don't care what sanctions we put on them; it's not not going to be enough. Which goes back to the whole issue of we should be drill, drilling, baby drilling here, and and you know helping out everybody else rather than having them get the uh, get the um, the oil from uh, from Russia. But uh, again, Biden, another round of sanctions coming. Uh, he's of course we could talk about this. He's, he and Trump, I guess, are going to meet somewhere down on the border on Thursday, which should be interesting. Yeah, they're already they're already saying that Biden's area there, there's nobody there. It's it's pretty much shut down. So that's a photo op for. Uh, yeah, they sanitize it before you show up. I hope Trump goes to an area where there are literally thousands coming in, and yeah. that's my hope. So anyway, we'll parking lots full of people lining up. Yeah, a little bit off the subject, but I mean the uh, the uh, Russian sanctions uh, to me are relatively relatively meaningless at this point. Yeah, and it, it it's so idiotic. The thing, the first thing that freaked me out, and I I talked about him twice yesterday, and now his name escapes me. Uh, the tall, skinny, pencil neck dude in the administration uh, usually speaks for the State Department. Can you can you help me out on that, Chris? What's oh, that? Uh, uh, Jake Sullivan. Jake Sullivan. All right. That's the man. Before the war, or just as the war was actually getting started, people asked him, why didn't you do sanctions and deterrence while, while uh, uh, Putin was building his troops? We had eight, nine months to watch them do it. And we're shaking our finger. We're telegraphing all the sanctions we're going to do. Putin's not believing his good luck that he wasn't meeting real resistance. They finally asked Jake Sullivan, why didn't you 
install, start installing the sanctions beforehand. Show them, you know, step by step. You you bring up another regiment, here's another sanction. And Jake Sullivan says, no, no, no. Deterrence doesn't work until after the fact, which well, is like denying the English language. Yeah, or is that like, uh, you know, the Pelosi thing of we have to pass the bill to read the bill? Correct. So right, right um, but, up there with that kind of thinking. Yeah, I actually thought we, I'm, I'm, I was under the impression, or I have to go back, I and mean, it's been a while, but I'm, I thought we were sanctioning Russia before then. I know we sanctioned them after the 2014 Crimea. Um, I, don't yeah. even, I think we've been sanctioning Russia Russia for wow, like, you know, ever since like the Georgia War, if I yeah. have my facts straight, I have to double check on that. But no, I mean, I, I think as a strategy, I'm not a fan of sanctions myself, and I understand why it's, it's kind of like the wag the finger, like, now we're going to be get you now. You got to be careful. Um, so and I, obviously you don't want to just go from like break off of diplomacy into war. Um, so I could understand the logic behind wanting to do sanctions, but I really can't. And I guess actually that's probably not true. I, I, they're, they're, they're allegedly do work in some instances. Um, they take a while to work, but I, I think they do work. But I know when we were going back, I think when we we're talking about Russia, when they were talking about sanctions, the meeting narrative was all these things, how it was like crippling the economy. And I think that lasted three days. And then it came back and like every, like the ruble went, was volatile and it like went, I mean, the ruble's always been quite different in, in a dollar. Um, but it, it was just like, it, it was like, just kind of like shattered the ruble for like a Double in value in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah and, and then it just kind of rebounded to the normal after a few months or something like that. And, um, I actually studied abroad in Russia when I was at Penn um, in 2018, um, and I know, like the ruble then was like 63 dollars, 63 rubles to a dollar, I think. And I know during the, the the first start of the Russian war, I think it went up to like maybe 120, 180 something like that. But then maybe by so the war started in February, by spring, May, or right before summer, it just rebounded to like 60, 70 uh, rubles per dollar. So, uh, and you were saying before, they have all that, uh, the money from like, being a petrostate. So it, it's kind of, you know, it, it may be a deterrent. And I don't think Sullivan, I would argue against Sullivan's statement that, you know, you do it afterwards or whatever. I just don't think it's in, a, in a, or maybe for particular countries. Um, especially Russia, it's in a, a particularly in a, uh, it's a particularly effective deterrent because yeah. you know like the, he's he's so used to them by now. It's kind of like part of the normal everyday experience. Yeah, the uh, uh, you you hit some key points. Well, uh, we did have sanctions. Trump had quite a few, uh, mm. and yeah, right to what Obama did in 2014. Um, Biden yanked probably about three quarters of those away. There was still a few in place at the start of the war. Um, but they made it very clear where we were going to sanction when we did. That gave everybody plenty of time to move their assets around, uh, sell, buy, whatever they needed to do to prepare for it. And then it took till December of last year for all the sanctions to finally go into place. Mm -hmm. So recently, Biden's talking about sanctions again, and he's not hitting their oil. If you're going to sanction somebody, cripple them. 
If you don't yeah. want to cripple them, leave it alone. Go big or stay home. So I, I had mentioned it to, to Ron. I, w- I was wondering if the mayor of Moscow's wife is still off the list. She's a oligarch, heavy mm, yeah. in the world. I forget her name. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, yes. yes, she wasn't on the sanction list last time around. She was the one that gave Hunter $3 million. <laughs> we, Russia does have a, a, a boatload of oligarchs throughout their country and in government. So it's kind of a not, you know, abnormal. But no, I, I know what you're saying. It's kind of like if you're, you're going to do it, do it right. But then that could also be an argument for American foreign policy going back to as far as Vietnam. You know, yeah. So it's just like we don't really, we kind of like dabble in, like, no, 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 we're going to just sort of do it halfway to try to make a point and intimidate you. And if you just stand up to it, it just kind of backfires and fails. So, and we half ass everything. We've talked about, you know, uh, Chris, uh, uh, Matt, and I talked about kind of peeling away all the layers of this onion. And it goes back to, you know, you mentioned Jake Sullivan, who's been involved in all this for years. And he's still he's still touting all this stuff, and it goes back to John Brennan and and Gina Hasbel and the, the fact that a lot of the the Russian disinformation initiated in the Ukraine, and it's just it's hard it's really hard to keep up with everything that's going on. In fact, we can I mean we can talk about Ukraine, and, and I'll, I'll say allegedly uh, there was a hit out on uh, Tucker Carlson when he was in Russia by a Ukrainian. And uh, there's the, the information is still coming out about that. It's not, I don't think it's definitely confirmed yet, but it sounds pretty close. So all of this is tied together. It's really hard to keep up with everything that's going on. I'm sorry. It's a Gordian knot. Right. I mean, right. uh, trying, trying to decode everything that's actually happening versus everything we're being told uh, versus the uh, uh, motivations behind it all. You could you could write volumes of encyclopedias on all of them. Well, there was that there was a New York Times article came out yesterday, two days ago, that what the CIA was kind of in going back to its involvement in Ukraine, either it was either 2014 or 2008 or nine. I forget the actual year. We talked about we talked about that on a previous uh, um, Matt um, a previous uh, uh, podcast, I, I believe, going back to about the. Uh, Dumping intelligence on them, and, yeah, yeah. Well, that and it's sort of like they manufactured Ukraine as an ally. I mean, if you keep, I, I'm kind of working on a piece now that should be coming out sometime in the next week. That, um, you know, all you ever hear from Democrats and Republicans, and you know, the sort of the establishment, or I'll call them the pro Ukraine Republicans, um, or pro funding Ukraine Republicans, is that they always refer to it as Ukraine is our ally, Ukraine is our ally. What in God's name has Ukraine ever done for the United States? They helped out a little bit in the Iraq war, but other than that, and you know, that goes back like 20 years ago, and they officially withdrew their troop involvement or military involvement in 08, 09. So, I mean, this 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 myth that they have, you know, we're just your strong ally together, that's been manufactured, and, and that it kind of comes from the New York Times article, which has said that they were trying to um the Euromaidan rebellions and all and the color revolutions all the things that were going on there they kind of basically wanted to keep basically take ukraine and kind of make it i would hesitate to use the word puppet because that kind of has a very uh, cold war connotation and i don't think it was quite to that level 
but it would come to the fact that they definitely wanted to be have an heavily impact influence Kiev, and that's something that kind of was ushered along into the whole logic and rationale of this thing that you know we're going to build the narrative of Ukraine's an ally. I know I was looking up this a couple of days ago, and I found out that you know the, our strong ally Ukraine. You go back less than 20 years ago, and they were actually giving Saddam, well, probably, I think it was 2000, I take that back, so 23 years ago, it was sending um, you, uh, Saddam Hussein weapons and missile defense systems, mm-hmm. which was violating their UN um, agreement that they had at the time. So it's it's this, this whole, I kind of resent that because from a Republican side, there are so many Republicans saying we have to defend Ukraine, and this is, you know, um, tyranny and, and they're basically recycling Cold War geopolitics and Cold War foreign policy and applying to 2024. And Putin isn't the Soviet Union, Putin isn't um Gorbachev, Putin isn't uh Brezhnev, Putin isn't Khrushchev. He's not, it's, it's a different thing. He wants to be a regional power in a multipolar world, and we don't have the bipolar US to the Soviet Union anymore. So, um and, and that is by no means a defense of Putin. I think he's awful. He's a dictator. He's brutal. He's killed people. So I'm not trying to go down that route or, or even agree with that. But I do think that for us to try to dictate sovereignty or, or say Russia could only do certain things when, you know, every country really wants to be a regional power if they if they have the capabilities. Um, so I, I think it's, it's it's extremely disingenuous for us to say, no, you can't do that. Um, because we're kind of infringing on their, you know, right to exist or, or their power. So, and they, and I, I think that's why this whole Ukraine thing kind of originated um, in, in the late aughts, so to speak, and early teens. Is it, they kind of wanted to, for whatever reason. And then the other part that doesn't really make sense is that Russia was sort of, and Putin was sort of our ally in like the early two thousands and mid two thousands. He had a pretty decent relationship with George W. Bush in the U.S. after nine eleven. And then I think it just went off the rails when he did the, the Georgia war and then the Crimean annexation. So it's just kind of, you know, the whole thing is kind of uh, interesting overall where we are and how we got here. They, they do call, routinely they call Ukraine an ally when mm-hmm. we are barely friends with the country mm-hmm. and only because the enemy of our enemy is our friend. Exactly. I, feel, I mean, I feel awful for the Ukrainians that are dying over there, but I don't, I don't trust Zelensky. In fact, his last uh, uh, last news um, video, I think he it certainly looked like he might have been on high to me. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. It was just. Like, no, it looked like you talk about the one where he was sitting down talking. No, just a, a day or two ago, it looked like he was coked up. He he was out of it. Um, uh, you know, I, I I wish they somehow can pull him aside because he knows everything that's going on. And I'm talking about the whole. Russia disinformation stuff that initiated in Ukraine. Yes. He knows it all. He knows it and, all. And and people refuse to accept this one thing. And we we heard it about Reagan after he'd been in politics for 20 years. But Zelensky is a comedian. He's a stand-up comedian who got a TV series, Servant of the People, about a school teacher who is funneled through an election process to become the president of Ukraine. That was a that was a he, show. That was the, that was the TV show. I didn't know that. <laughs> so this is life, this is life life in the Yeah, exactly. And and uh, 
the, you, there's no way you can convince me because Zelensky hit the scene, all the backwards ass criminal oligarchs disappeared. They well, didn't. Not only that, and I forget his name, and I'm embarrassed that I do forget him. Uh, Zelensky's predecessor, you know, we had this strong alliance with Ukraine. He was one of the more corrupt, if not the most corrupt European politician in the 21st century. Yeah. And, and we, even if you go back to Obama and the Obama Biden administration, <laughs> he, um, my dog is just nuts here. Um, if you go back to that, Obama even had qualms about trusting Ukrainian government because there was so much corruption. So, again, I, I hate to harken back on something I said a couple minutes ago, but sorry again about my dog. Um, is that, but is it, that it, a girl dog, boy dog? Who is it? Boy dog. He just, every time I'm on, he just, I, I don't know if he's like neglect or something or, you know, it feels like I'm ignoring him. Let, him, up. Let, let, him let him get it out of his system. <laughs> but, uh, yes, yeah, so going back to what I was saying is that, uh, we had all these concerns about Ukrainian, you know, corruption and, and dealing with their going back to Obama, who you know Biden is kind of like they've been become synonymous with Ukraine now, and it, it didn't exist. And they're they're revising, not even revising history, they're just recreating history at this point. And it's disappointing that so many Republicans have kind of joined on board on this as well, um, because it, there's just, there's just no need to. And I mean, I was the Talking, I actually met with Senator Rand Paul a couple of weeks ago. I did an interview with him, and he you know, laid it out perfectly. He said that, you know, we're America's, I'm paraphrasing again, we're, you know, America's elected officials. We should care more about America's borders than Ukraine's. And as Ron, as you were saying before, I'm totally empathetic to um, Ukrainians, everything going through. I think what Putin doing is doing is absolutely awful. All those people, the Ukrainians, innocent, innocent Ukrainians, or die that's the important thing here i i mean i held a fundraiser for ukrainian refugees that were coming into philadelphia when the, the war initially broke out so i'm very sympathetic for that but at the same time we're one not the world's policemen and two i mean we've given them billions of dollars more so than any other country in the world i mean how much more are we supposed to do here and how much how much of that is pissed away yeah, well, my thing is I would love to know, and I don't know how you would go about finding this, but in addition to like the financial um, mishap or like, what's the word I'm looking for? Oddities. Fiscally irresponsible. Fiscally irresponsible part. Um, this is my dog, by the way, you see his head. So what's what's your dog's name? Kit. Have you ever watched the old show Kit. Knight Rider? His inspiration. So, yeah. yeah. I'm really dating myself. So. Hey, buddy. <laughs> If I could somehow find a trail of the money people are the politicians, Republicans and Democrats that are getting paid for being involved with, you know, supporting Ukraine, I would love to be able to find that somehow. I don't know where to get that or, but I would have to exist some, I would have to think that somewhere this trail of money, either through laundering from the money we give Ukraine that comes back to them or some other globalist NGO EU NATO type of thing that, that's kind of like they're getting uh, financially. Uh, uh, there's a whole list of nonprofits, from what I understand, in Ukraine. And nonprofit doesn't mean the CEO of the nonprofit doesn't get loaded on the money. Yeah. Um, and it's it's almost farcical. Uh, there's no accounting. Um, we talked and about having a. We, we having can't a, even be aware of the effect it's had. 
we talked about having a full account, a full audit of, every, of the trail that's going on. A lot of the money, of course, is our own military uh, mm. background. You know, a lot of it's a lot of it is right here, but I'm sure there's a lot of it lost on the way too. And I would think that's a telling sign more than anything is the people that are against the auditing of the Ukraine funds. Like, if okay, you want to give billions to Ukraine in a humanitarian case, I, mean, I can sign on. I could logically go along with that. I mean, you know. Like we said, we've all said here that Ukrainian, sorry again, um, we had uh, Ukrainians, innocent Ukrainians are dying because of you know, Putin's aggression. So I think that's, you know, a just from a sympathetic and empathetic standpoint, that makes sense. But then, and as we all know, you know, the fiscal irresponsibility of our government, why would you be so against auditing thing? That's the, the telling sign that I think doesn't really get as much publicity as it should. And I think that's indicative of the the wrong things that are going on with all the money there is, oh, is that you know every, want to track it. every american corporation you know you have to audit everything you know if you go out and take somebody to you know, out to dinner with drinks and everything you show that audit trail and you right the government seems to be the only organization that has no auditing or, or if they do it's, it's uh, you know what you know what's funny is i was actually talking to a friend of mine in one of the uh, power, some of the political context i know who was uh in the works in congress and we were talking about how if someone wanted to go from a job in the media or a reporter and wanted to be on like a, a congressperson's staff, they would have to give up that job because of potential conflict of interest. But yet every politician has a zillion, or not every, but like a fair amount of politicians have tons of conflict of interest and, you know, have all these backdoor deals or money or getting, you know, from lobbying groups, et cetera, they can run scot-free. But it's like the people, the little people at the bottom are the ones that kind of have to, like, you know, be held to strict standards. Absolutely. There's a there's a whole industry in Congress <clears throat> coming in the form of foundations. Um, uh, you only have to spend X amount of dollars out of a foundation on whatever charity it's set up for. So a senator's daughter or senator's kid, wife, whatever, sets up foundations and they ask for money to donate to his campaign, but they also ask, you know, donate for my uh, uh, my foundation to, to support, to find stray dogs and rescue stray dogs. I think it's like 5% or 7%, something like that. I thought I might have a donation for that dog program in a second here. <laughs> Give a talk to rescue. <laughs> Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. One thing I want to remind people, uh, shopping for P4, P4B gear and uh, donating and subscribing, those things are critically important. Um, for me, this is a full-time job. I don't know what Ron gets up to when nobody's looking. I don't want to know. But... Um, there a lot of effort goes into the show, scripting, recording, editing. Um, so your support is critical. But equally critical is that share button. Uh, the P4B is on a mission. We are out to inform people, have a little bit of fun, but at the same time, defeat Davos and the WEF. That's my biggest bugaboo. But we can't do it. If it's just Ron and I talking to you, and then that's the end of the conversation. We need to invite people into the conversation. So by all means, 
bang away at that share button and definitely leave a comment. We want to know what you're thinking. It'll help us create a better show. Be sure to use all the buttons at the top and bottom of the text. We live and die by the share and subscribe buttons. Send inquiries to poriverproductions at gmail.com. Thank you very much for joining us today.